Welcome to the Scott and Sue Project Podcast, where we journal our wandering into the realm of helping others. We are currently using our time and talents to tackle the problem of homelessness in our community. Hello, Scott. Hi, Sue. How are you? I am good. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. Okay. First thing first, let me give an update uh, on the technology front. So I had a couple of Google Cloud training today, uh, this week, and um, it's it's uh, like drinking from the fire hose. It's great to see what Google pl- platform has to offer. It's been a while, and I get this mostly in the you know, um, just listening it, uh, just somewhat aware of it, but just having the class and having, uh, it's, it's a very broad one, but it gets you some details, but at least it's a good, uh, touch point on each one of these. They have a lot of, um, features or solutions there. So reason I brought that up is uh, we're thinking about moving our site to somewhere where we could uh, enable more plugins, WordPress plugins, so we can do more custom uh, databases or presenting our data more programmatically as we collect these uh, homeless resources. So yeah, and one exciting thing was uh, I, there's this marketplace in uh, in the Google Cloud platform where you could just search for WordPress and it will come up this offering. And I saw uh, I could do a one-click launch or it will essentially install a set of VM and install WordPress and uh, it's ready to, to do further configuration. And the cost of it is just about $6 a month just a little below six. Which is about, we're paying a little bit more than that, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yep. It's, and yeah, yeah and, uh, and I have a few more sites that I've been hosting on Squarespace. I, I could just roll them in as well and, uh, uh, and save some money there. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's one. Anything, any thoughts on that, Scott? Oh, I, I think it's good. I perhaps what precipitated this is that a friend of mine. I think he's been listening to our podcast. So I don't know how else he would have heard that we had the site on WordPress.com, and he actually recommended we move off of WordPress because of the um, plugin limitations. And I did notice I wanted to put a bookshelf on our website, and I did put one, but it's kind of a clunky version of it. I put the book on ending homelessness on that page uh, as a book that we've read in, um, for, in the context of this project. And I am um, anxiously going to begin another book that I got from one of the homeless sites that I'm looking into to, to get different perspectives. And I want to start kind of a bookshelf of homeless books on homelessness or relevant that have some relevance to homelessness. So, but um, the, the default offering of bookshelves is kind of clunky. I saw that there were plugins for bookshelves that potentially could do it much more elegantly. And that's, you know, one 
place where we hit that limitation where we'd have to up our price to get a plug-in like that so um it was uh kudos to my friends who i think was listening and made that recommendation to like hey you need to look at other options he recommended siteground but apparently google cloud offers an option as well so yes awesome right so we, we definitely will play around with that still and then on the next part so i've been trying to wrestle with the 2020 data uh has some issue with observable hq in terms of bringing in the excel spreadsheet it's not big but for whatever reason the the javascript module to to parse excel within observable hq just kept uh, it's it's just stuck so that was blocking um then you know, I went the route of doing my old converting to CVS, CSV, I mean, uh, for, uh, so that one, I finally got the data, but just going through the old Excel way, uh, got some information there, but then also found out about uh, the AHA. So it's a, uh, and <laughs> the AHA report, which is the annual homeless assessment report to the Congress, which is uh, what, let me make sure I got this correct. If I'm not mistaken, it's the produced by- Kind of a clunky HUD. acronym, right? right? AHA, yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yes, um, so it's by uh, US Department of Housing and Urban Development. Um, so they. They give this report to Congress in the beginning of the year, every year. So we want to make sure I go through that as well. Essentially, it's um, it's just presenting the, uh, the data that is in that Excel or CSV in this 100-page document that shows the stats. Overall, saying, uh, I think no surprise uh, from 2019 to 2020, uh, there has been an increase in homelessness and more unsheltered. Uh, so more people going unsheltered from being sheltered. So so that's that was it. But really, in the hundred pages as I was going through it, you know, if you look at across the states, um, you know, across the United States, some states have increased, some states have actually reduced. Like why? What are the reasons behind this? So, so that got me thinking into. Um, so I, I was I recently also took another class on machine learning. Uh, this whole concept about, um, I think you have. So we have the data set. We have these features in the data that can potentially be used to determine what causes one of the factors that causes a certain state or a, a um, in the region uh, for homelessness to increase or decrease over the next year um, and you know we also start to hear about uh, the federal government have allocated um, I don't remember the exact amount uh, but it, I did the math in my head, it was about, so about 600 
So 600,000 homeless person in, uh, in, in our most latest count, rounding up. It, I don't remember the total amount, but per person, it equates to about $340,000 per homeless person that is uh, allocated to address homelessness. Wow, in, in, so that's uh, across yeah. the country. Yes, across the country. So you're yeah. talking about the money that um, Biden was yes. in his stimulus package yes. that, um, was used to address homelessness. That's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So I, I just don't know how that will be used and how it will be allocated across the different um, states or uh, or the continuum of care. Yeah. I'm wondering how effective it would be just to hand it over, just give them each three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, and and you you did, you know, we did talk about this a bit, you know, in terms of how do you, yeah, how do you make sure those that needs it most, like those who are at risk, right, uh, and and really channeling that resources to 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 those. Uh, versus uh, just spreading it equally across all. Uh, some may, yeah. may be okay without it. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, just to kind of hit that point a bit more, on, um, we, we actually have a Twitter account now, and we have it linked to our website under headlines so that we, it's just an easy, quick way to put news headlines in the news that could just stream down their site and one of the more recent headlines from the arizona republic is that arizona is getting 500 million dollars to combat homelessness from the federal government and they appointed a head of um this this person tom simplet i don't know if that's how you pronounce it correctly but to head it and um Interestingly, I don't know that that is proportional to what you mentioned because I don't think that comes out to right. three hundred thousand yeah. per person. But um, but it is a, it does hit home how well prepared are we to spend this money as as a government in ways that would be effective. Let me and, yeah put some color on that. So yeah. five hundred million. Uh, in 2020, Arizona has 11,000 um, mm -hmm. homeless person. So in that, that equates to 50, about $50,000 per person, per homeless person. So yeah, yeah this is not to that 350,000 level. <laughs> it's a big drop. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I joke about like the, <laughs> the loss from federal funding to the state level okay um somebody's definitely siphoning out but okay uh, aside from that <laughs> but let's say 50 that that can be challenging but of uh, um put putting that aside let's say 50,000 okay purpose um th there's if we cover all 11,000 equally but here's another way to think about it so if we break down uh the 11,000 we the chronic homeless individual is about two thousand. Okay, so so 
if we focus more on that, um, that's 2,000 individual. Um, mm-hmm. So we can definitely, we'll have more if we just focus on that 2,000. Or another, I think I would consider uh, a bigger priority area would be the unaccompanied homeless youth. That's about mm-hmm. 633. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that's another one. And then another 920 veterans. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so those, we add those all together, it's about 2,700. So, so maybe those are the, maybe we focus on those high, I guess, priority area. Then, we can do more than 50,000 per, per dose group. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that, that kind of leads to a point I've been thinking about quite a bit lately. Um, my I have a daughter who's about to graduate from high school. And she, um, you know, her, her and her peers are applying to different colleges. And I've been really interested in the whole college kind of entrance game that all these kids play and you have all these kids who put all this time and energy into making sure they have lots of extracurricular activities get really good grades study really hard to get good scores on the SATs ACTs they um, you know have to write these essays and they apply to all these different schools and hope to get into a good one and it got me thinking a little bit, um, especially in terms of, and, and I'll tie this in the holistic maybe a bit later, but what is, so we have all this money um, and some of these kids potentially pay their way, I guess, through school, although that's getting increasingly more difficult to do. But say you have the, this money where you can like use to help kids get through college or at the very least you have only so many spots at this college. How do you prioritize who sh- should get in and who shouldn't? And good thing we have plenty of universities. So I think anybody who wants to go to college can because there's just a lot of slots. But if if somebody, some school's trying to be selective, how do they prioritize? And it seems to me that you should, in one sense, if you're kind of like, do the most good for society, you should prioritize the kids that could use your resources the most, that could have the potential of growing the most as they are at your school versus kids who um, are already really high functioning and could thrive almost anywhere. Maybe they don't need your school (laughs) quite as much, right? (laughs) So like rather than um, making your entrance exams purely based on how credentialed the kid is, it seems like schools need to do more to find kids with potential, but don't um, necessarily have their wherewithal to pull it together at that point in time. You know what I'm saying? So, um, and there's one example that kind of gets to this. I was listening to an um, NPR, This American Life, I think it was episode where the University of Texas, they, Austin, which is a, a, an elite school, which is a really good school. Um, they 
anybody across Texas that gets in ranked in the five, top 5% of the class, I can't remember what the exact percentage was, they get in automatically. So what that, ha- what that happens is if you're in a more, a school that's serving lower income people, a lot of times those top kids at those schools aren't performing don't have the same resumes as like a kid, a top kid in a, a more affluent school. And then you get a, a better mix. That's just a very crude way of, of doing of doing that, of, of, of keeping spots reserved for kids who have potential, but don't necessarily at that point in time have the wherewithal to show it in any application and a lot of those kids with potential don't even apply to those elite schools because they just it doesn't occur to them and um the reason why i'm thinking about this in terms of homelessness is because i think a lot of people who get funds for homelessness like we have rental assistant programs that you can call in the people who call and ask for help homeless services those people a lot or maybe they're not homeless but they're they, they're worried about losing their home or whatever, and they call and seek help. Those people probably aren't going to be homeless, whether you help them or not, because they're going to find help. The people that actually need the help are not usually the ones making that phone call. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that whole idea? We can dive into that more. Um, um, first of all, like the uh, your Texas Austin um, example, what they did there, I, I'm not heard of that, but I think that's a great idea. Like I, I'm, I'm glad. Uh, I've never heard of that before, but it, that totally makes sense. That <laughs> they're, they're doing it uh, because I, as I understand, you know, the student body of any school needs some sort of a diverse group like it has to have a certain mix how do you get that mix uh the way they do it by just across all the high schools in in texas the top five so in a way it cuts through yeah i mean the avoiding the uh those that can just stack the resume uh it does give opportunity for the uh, some uh, some school which is at risk area or uh, those gets those chance equally as well. So you, you get a good mix across the board, but in in a way that not just anybody, but still you get uh, those that have this, uh, because of the top five that has this potential to them to, to come in and then and further grow that potential. So I, I am glad that's happening. And, you know, taking that to homelessness, uh, the, like, it, one, one it, it sounds like to be, for something equivalent for uh, helping the homeless community might be something like, maybe the UBI or like, or whoever that earns this, uh, that doesn't earn this much, then there's the supplemental assistant or there's a housing voucher that across the board gives to, to that population group. 
then then you avoid the, whether those that can call in for the assistance versus those that cannot, uh, or those that um, more or less, I don't know how, whether they have case um, uh, uh, a, a caseworker with them or not. But but I think as I think about this, it is still the problem doesn't go away. Right, because just like the student uh, might be top five in in a in a at risk school, they may UT Austin may not be in the radar. So even even if UT Austin have the slot allocated for them, how would they know to apply? Or in, in I think those students actually some of those students may actually need some intervention for to to bring them or to to go, to bring them to go through the application to get into that school i think in the same way like the homeless population as well while the the help is is there but needs the intervention for a caseworker to to get to that person to bring them into the system for that help yeah uh, this i have a couple points just to color my original point a little more and and to kind of carry that analogy college entrance and homeless assistance yeah a bit more um the university of texas that program on, on the podcast episode i listened to they actually highlighted somebody who came this girl who came from a low-income school who went to the university of texas decided to study math and um, the problem is she was in the same class with a bunch of kids who, who went to more affluent schools with more resources and had a more aggressive curriculum and they were further ahead and she was much further behind but the teacher didn't lower standards kept the standards super high but what he did was this particular teacher they highlighted in this math course what he did was he um did two things first he provided a lot of mentoring so this girl in particular would go to him office hours and he would work with her a lot and just really encouraged her and um, made sure even though she would she would fail she was failing the tests at the beginning and just really struggling and she wanted to give up she almost she her mom encouraged her to just leave and go to the local school where she was from maybe just give up on her math degree but the professor really encouraged her to keep going and also he had a program in that class where no matter how bad you did through the semester if you did well on the final that would be great your final grade would be your entire grade and would wipe out all your previous scores which um, allowed you to kind of grow and so like even if you made early missteps you could rectify it at the end so she kept plowing on it and at one point like middle of the way or mostly most of the way through the class it just clicked everything clicked and she started to understand it and she started to catch up to the other kids and she um, did well in the final got a good grade and continued on with her math dream and she and one point that the professor made was this gap can be overcome early if you intervene 
And once you overcome the gap, then it, the gap goes away completely. And she is then through the rest of her college career, she was just on pace with their other kids. And in fact, at the time of the podcast recording, she got accepted to, I think, an elite graduate school to pursue um, data science at like a, a, hard, a Ivy League school. So it worked out really well for her, but it required this because it could have gone easily the other way, but it required this teacher and this vision and this oversight. And and with homelessness, we had one of our listeners gave us a voice memo pushing back on the idea of uh, are homeless people home ready? Are they all home ready? And I just want to clarify that point because I think from the, the point in the book, uh, the book on ending homelessness, the point he makes isn't, so much that they're home ready and that they can be fully functioning in the home and they can take care of it and they can stay, you know, pay the rent on time and do all the things you need to do to stay in the home. The point there wasn't that. The point was you get them in the home, but you give them in the home with support with a caseworker. And um, and then in the context of stability, you then help them grow into being home ready. But you can't do that while they're on the streets. They have to be in a, they have to have some amount of stability and then they can grow. So very similar to the college um, analogy, there are kids out there who maybe didn't even do very well in high school. You don't have the resume, but have the potential and that could really thrive in a rigorous college program um, and somehow it would be good if we could make our um, entrance exams um, more sophisticated to find those kids who, um, who could be brought in, but then provide the support for them. Because universities shouldn't just be gatekeeping. It, it should be an opportunity to nurture our um, young kids into the workforce so they can make significant contributions in society. And I feel like oftentimes universities at least seem to play more a gatekeeper role. Like um, we're going to be the way that Goldman Sachs, you know, it's like a Harvard becomes like a sophisticated Goldman Sachs um, hiring so that they could just pick off Harvard grads because they know Harvard did all the work of like gatekeeping these kids or whatever. If, if we could think more broadly than that, that would be really cool from a college level, but from a homelessness level, like to your point, we need to reach out and find those hard cases, people who really need our help the most. And it's a, it's a tough problem in both sides of this because like I'm really sensitive to um, us going out there, hey, we're your saviors, we're gonna just fix your life and that, won't work. It really the homeless, the person, the individual needs to be the one fixing their own lives just with support. And that's why caseworkers have to be really skilled. And all those have to be skilled so that they're not intervening in ways that eliminates the homeless person's um, you know, dignity or their um choice right it needs every at every step of the way it needs to be their choice they just need to be 
an encouragement and a support system. I I have made a lot of points there. And like it would be nice to hear your responses. <laughs> yeah, to yeah, yeah. It's a lot of good points there, and the one that keep resonating in my head is the, them getting stuck, but at some point they they got unstuck. Yeah, and then. Uh, I, I've seen this with my kids. Um, <laughs> I I used to chart their uh, progression uh, uh, in terms. So in in their school, they have this uh, uh, year beginning of the year test, end of the year test in in math reading. You know, from first grade or uh, sixth grade, seventh grade, and I always can see their progression and. There's always this part where the it feels like the you know there's always that progression, but I guess some point like there's no progression, it just stays flat. But after like uh, whether it is a year or, or two years, there's this jump. Uh, now that jump, I have three children. Uh, they all have this flat plateau somewhere but then that jump happens for, at different parts in like and one of them was like uh in third grade one of them was in fourth grade one is fifth grade so it, it it just reminded me of that again that yeah they, 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 they hit they all have this part where they might get stuck but and they were in a private school and so they they get this attention uh, uh, a, a more personalized attention that that help push them along, uh, making sure they don't fall further behind. But at some point, it clicks, and then they they they, they proceed to to go much further beyond that. So yeah, this for then the other thing about gatekeeping, uh, I I I felt you know coming from Malaysia. A lot of the um, uh, higher level education is mostly about gatekeeping because I felt because of the lack of resource, uh, the lack of spots in universities or higher education requires just uh, some people get in and the rest really um, have to find other avenues. But for a developed country like United States, where I feel there's definitely more resource, definitely, I mean, as, as more resource, but we, we take aside the, the elite school, there are a lot of like wonderful schools. I, I, I never got into an elite school, um, but it's a, it's a great education. Nonetheless, um, you of Kentucky, it's, it's great. <laughs> and, and it, it, it made a difference for me. Um, and, and, I, I could have done better at school, um, but that's my my fault. But uh, but even there, I could achieve more just being there. And um, and then there is community colleges. So yes, I I feel in United States is there is definitely more option. I think there is a lot more resource for education, more choices, more resource. And now with uh, Biden's uh, idea of making community college free. 
that I think can definitely it's an investment in the right area. Uh, but coming to homelessness, I feel the resource part is lacking. I mean, we <laughs> as a nation, where we have, we definitely have the resource, and now you know, it, with the funding now allocated for this, I, this is definitely resource then. But, but like you said, you, we do need caseworkers or like in the education side, like the the professors or the teachers that have that patience or have that resource time to actually give the attention to those that needs them. And it, it does take time. Do we have enough of the human resource to help those that, uh, like the homeless population, especially those chronically homeless? Like, is there enough of these workers to help them? Yeah, I don't know. And, and that's, I think you're right. Like, it's not just about it's yeah i agree like us has a lot of schools a lot of options to get a college education and the schools are good like every state school in this country i think provides really good education has i, I heard somebody say this on a different podcast i listen to a lot of podcasts but and uh, they um she this woman just really raised and just made this really beautiful point that every university like you can go to any state in the country find state universities that offer world-class um, universities with great libraries, motivated professors who are well-trained. Um, often, you know, they have a, a whole bunch of um, programs, you know, music and orchestra, just all kinds of engineering, just labs, just really, uh, very highly well resourced across every state and um it's it's a treasure that i don't think is replicated in many other places if any i don't i don't know the full scope of international view of things but, but yeah like i went to the state school here in arizona and i got a great education and i think i could have i don't know if i would have gotten a better education somewhere else like it it was it mostly was up to me like you said like how how much effort did i really put in but i had these professors who were who knew their subject material really well uh, but the problem that we struggle with in the university system is if you're from a low-income um family or or have different you don't necessarily get that support like i don't think that the example that uh, i gave with the university of texas is i'm not sure that that's very common having teachers who organize their classrooms that way it's designed that that's designed to empower kids to you know give them every chance to succeed rather than just try to weed them out like that was my experience in engineering at u of a is uh, it was a big joke of like the first semester or two it was just a chance to weed out the kids who really didn't want to be in engineering <laughs> like let's make it really hard and just get those kids out and just keep the ones that really want to be there and there's something to that but you know you also need to give every kid who really wants to do the work every chance to succeed and i don't necessarily i don't think i saw that in my experience and i'm doubtful it's very common 
because I think, as you said, it it's hard. It's resource intensive. I don't know. We have enough people doing it. Um, I don't know if they're trained to do it. And same with homelessness. Uh, so much of it is volunteers, as far as I can see. And um, but we really need to professionalize it. We need really well trained professional caseworkers. I'm sure we have many of them doing really good work. I'm, but I'm not sure we have enough of them. I'm sure we don't have enough of them. Otherwise, it seems like we would have fewer people on the streets, but I don't know. I don't know exactly, but we definitely need really well-trained caseworkers who make a career, like this is their career, their lifelong career where they develop expertise over time, um, working with people in these situations. And uh, yeah, so I... I think we have part of the equation, but we need we need the, the full picture. But I am I do think it's a good step that we're getting all this money. I think that's positive. I just hundred not hundred percent sure that we're going to use it as effectively as we should. I'd like to see that play out. It would be nice if if I saw some reporting on how they're planning on using it. I don't know that they even know yet. I think um, he was talking about creating a summit to have discussions. A big part of this money, by the way, will have to be used to pay for all these people <laughs> doing, doing this work. So, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And yeah, to maybe to close out then, um, part, you know, part of what we're trying to do here is try to understand the homeless population a little bit more um, because as I see, let's say the, the breakdown of the 11,000 homeless in Arizona, about 8,000 individual, 2,600 in uh, people in families with children, about 600 accompanied youth, uh, 900 veterans and another 2,000 chronically homeless. If I look at those five segments, um, I think the the problem areas or the way we would help or how would help is probably different in each one of, of those. And some may need, uh, like I think when it comes to the resource, it will be different as well, whether it's uh, caseworkers or uh, resource or uh, job opportunity training or, or um, yeah, and, and those things can, um, we just have to mash them up. If, if, we, I, if, if we have a good understanding of what's needed. Yeah, yeah, and I'm just looking at this, again, this Arizona Republic article, just to add another category of people to your list. It said that more than 200 seniors experiencing homelessness died on the streets of Maricopa County in the first nine months of 2020. Um, I think that's a pretty hum um, humbling statistic, too. And it would be nice to know. It would be good to kind of track stuff like that to figure out how many people are dying because of homelessness. And, you know, that's certainly a tragedy. It would be nice that we could um, prevent. And it is very sad that people in their older parts of their life um, have to spend their last years on the streets rather than to live in 
a more comfortable situation. But yeah, it's really sad to, to think of people in their 60s and 70s having to suffer on the streets, given with age, your body is already, you know, starting to wear out and you have to, you know, try to survive in that situation. Scott, yeah, um, you have a. <laughs> Not, I was hoping to end in a good note, but thanks God for ending <laughs> in such a solemn way. Okay, all right. I know, and that's it's uh, <laughs> it was a bad way to end. <laughs> all right. Well, on that lovely note, I guess. <laughs> Scott. Yeah. Okay. We'll leave it there then. We'll um, talk to you next time. <laughs>